This is season two, episode 14, the season finale of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your game. Doesn't matter if you're a game master or player, you'll find advice, ideas, and some strong opinions. Our episode tonight, our RPG best of times and worst of times, or gaming is such sweet sorrow. Everyone, welcome again to Mastering the RPG. Like I said, it's a tabletop RPG podcast all about maximizing your game with advice, cool stuff found, answering some emails, which we have tonight, and we hope you get something out of it. I'm Carl with my co-hosts, Eric and James, and you'll find information about the show at MasteringTheRPG.com. You can send us an email with feedback or questions at GameMaster at MasteringTheRPG.com. So... We're here on the mics again for the season finale of season two. Yeah, clapping. Maybe I should add there. a sound effect there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's been a, a great, a great season with you guys. How are you doing tonight? What's going on? I'm going well, Carl. We're um, we're suffering through blizzard-like conditions here in Australia. It got down to fifty degrees today, <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, we're going all right. Got a bit of a cold, but doing well. Very, very busy at the moment. Playing lots and lots of games. Where games for kids start next week. Um, we've got. An, I'm playing in a brand new Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Got a couple of new players joining join a game last last night last Monday night. It's it's all happening. Lots and lots of games going on. It's very very busy, which very is strange, exciting. but um, but exciting at the same time. Very cool. Nice. What you been up to, Eric? Uh, you know, I mean, more of the same as far as the gaming goes. Uh, some big projects here that are not related to gaming. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of <laughs> the same, you know. Sounds good. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, we're in our campaign that's going on. Yeah. Um, starting to get what's the, I don't know, it's starting to rise to that climax. Um, they, just, they discovered a way that they might be able to pull in the the forces at work maybe into their clutches if they can pull something yeah. off. So, um, so anyway, uh, so that's fun. So it's good to have everybody here. I'm pretty excited about this episode because this episode we're going to be talking about some of the best things we've been doing or the best times we had playing RPGs, whether playing or being a GM, and then some horror stories, I like to call them, um, of the games that we are playing. But What's cool is today we have an email. email. Um, and we have an email from Rob. Thank you, Rob. Um, and his question is, we all have played fantasy and in many have had adventures in space. What setting or genre do you feel is underrepresented? Is there a world you wish you had an opportunity to play in? That's a great question. It goes right along with our theme, I think, uh, for this evening. Um, so, uh, James, what, what do you think about those two questions? Yeah, great question, Robert. Thanks for sending it through. Um, look, infinite realities which we play in. So, um, and I, I might not be the best person to ask this question because I've played a lot of genres um, and quite quite happily switched genres from from bits and pieces. Um, I think possibly underrepresented in the in the genre and um and i know carl i think the thing you probably agree with me is is kind of the 
the very traditional sci-fi part of of uh, of role playing. Um, fantasy role playing, I agree, is by far the, the the most common, and I play a lot of it. And I do play a little bit of fantasy in space. We play games like Spelljammer, Planescape, those kind of games, and I've played quite a bit of horror games in space. You know, kind of um, you know, Alien. Uh, that kind of genre, but you're straight up space exploration, space sci-fi, Star Warsy like game. I, I have not played a lot of, and 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 I, I'm not sure there is a huge amount out there anymore. Uh, Travelers yep. on the shelves everywhere. The Star Wars RPG had a pretty good run, um, but I'm not quite sure what's happened in that space recently. Um, but for me, it's probably the hard sci-fi. The uh, the you know kind of the space exploration in a in a very science yeah. way yeah very a much bit, um, is a little bit low yeah I think I'm very much on the same page with you that that's my number one is hard sci-fi not sci fantasy because even Star Wars falls into more because yeah. you got space Star wizards Wars, Star Wars around, is right? fantasy in space yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even... so you got space wizards running yeah. around doing stuff um, hard We're talking sci-fi about Star where Trek it's really hard Star Trek right because Star Trek itself is still a little yeah, even Star Trek, honestly, they pull out the techno babble to solve all yeah. problems, you know, versus and space magic, something space, that's... space wizards too. Don't forget about all the space wizards, like Q yeah, and things yeah. like that, right? Yep, space yep, goblins. For sure. yeah. <laughs> yeah, space goblins. <laughs> um, for the Ferengi. And then, and then another one of mine is kind of post-apocalypse, but isn't zombies, nuclear war, some space-time rift or something? Just something that. There's just a general falling apart of society, um, you yeah. know. Uh, like I think of like Twilight, 2K without the yeah. yeah without the you know World War Three happened, but without that kind of side of it where kind of things have just generally fallen apart and you're trying to live off the land to get to where yeah. you need to go. Um, Carl, I, let, me, I think let, let, let me let me label that for you: hard post-apocalypse. Hard <laughs> <Right>? post. <laughs> I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, I like stuff that's way too sciency based. I guess I don't know, but <laughs> I think what I think it is, and this is something very, very interesting because I, I think it's the conceptual and the more like exploratory. And I think it, it's funny because I think in LARPing, there's a lot of LARPs, and I know of especially internationally, there's a lot of LARPs that will that will like kind of deal with more serious themes. And it might be like I know like, there was an episode of an, an amazing podcast called Imaginary Worlds where he, he talked about LARPing. And there was this one in Europe where they it was like a small village in like Holland or something during World War II. And it was just like they just LARPed out this scenario like dealing with like Nazis coming in and stuff like that. And it was very serious. So and like I think that's kind of the same, you know, se- like can we explore these themes of a post-apocalypse without having these like, a, you know, larger than life or zombies? And I think that's the thing that people kind of shy away from maybe is actually exploring some more like serious themes um, without all like the, the fun of like magic or whatever, or like, you know, so I think that's, yeah, that, I guess that's my point is that it's kind of interesting that I, that is a space that's not really well explored. Right. Um, yep. Yep. That's a good so point. What, isn't it? It's interesting, isn't it? But we don't do a lot of period gaming without yeah. putting a fantastic or in my case, horror overlay. Like uh, there's a lot of, Call of Cthulhu that's set in Dark Ages and Middle Ages and and Victorian era and bits and pieces, but it still has that over overwhelming fantasy element that's thrust on top of the of the period drama. There is a lot of role playing games that are period pieces. Yes, in, for example, like this, you know, just straight up doesn't need the fantasy, doesn't need the goblin, just using the intrigue and the setting of the world. Yeah, I wonder why. 
Yeah, I mean, because it is, I mean, it is more mundane feeling maybe. And I think that it's, it's almost easier when you're designing a system to have the fun parts and to have a lot of like problem solving beef, problem solve with magic or whatever your magic is, you know, and to have the fantastical creatures and the sense of mystery because it's fantastical in whatever way it is. So I think it's just, it's honestly probably harder to design a compelling setting and a comparing, a compelling mecha- uh, like, um, uh, mechanics that don't involve some type of fantastical element in whatever genre you're talking about. Well, and, I think that's plus, the main I think, reason. Well, I think plus part of it is people aren't experts in science and all the things that go along and they don't keep yeah. up with all the latest science trends. So fanta- fantasy is easier because it's, it's just fantasy, right? You can, can do what it. you want to do and you can change things yeah. and things work the way they work. You, you know, you don't have to understand how nuclear fusion works, and that's the reason something works. So, no, no, it's just there's magical dilithium crystals yeah. that make stuff work, yeah. and it's all fine. Don't worry about it. So I, I think that's part I of it, too. push the red button, and it happens. Yeah, yep, for yep, sure. The easy button. We push the easy button, and magic happens. So, and, I, and I feel like uh, with like hard sci-fi, too, like there's the concept or the, the thought that the person running it, or it's going to be so like, oh, we need to like know math and like graphs, and okay, you really have to be in on this. And you know, part of us, when we're playing, we want, we want to like bring stuff to narrative and kind of maybe hand wave stuff away that we don't need to like get so technical and bogged down with the details. So I think there's a kind of a fine balance to running something that's very hard. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right, of yep. like representing representing that there's science based but not getting like bogged down and having you know being so hung up on technical so for me though which is interesting because you know i did bring up the whole like mundane thing but uh even with some fantastical elements i still feel like greek and like and like not just the the like technical level of greece but also like that kind of mythology but also like yeah their technology level of greece and kind of like bronze age and before like sumerian like all of that um, fantasy or not is very un- underrepresented. So like having like, yeah. you know, something set in the Greek, you know, in the Bronze Age, it, if there's fantasy or not, just either way, like that's just very underrepresented. You don't see that that much. It's it's usually, you know, we're talking about medieval times and it's usually Renaissance level of technology, right, for most of our games. So, um, yes. and, and also culture too. Um, and then also for me, uh, uh, like Weird Wars, and, and we, me and Carl were talking about this before that, anything that we said we're like oh savage worlds has a setting <laughs> and it does like literally savage worlds has the most settings and pretty much anything you can think of they have a setting for it um and they have a weird wars thing but what i mean more specifically is like you know either like war- like kind of more modern like set in a, a war environments so like world war ii world war one civil war that kind of thing that's not like horror like cthulhu right. i think um having maybe fantastical elements during that kind of time i think that's also very underrepresented and, and it's kind of ripe for uh, gameplay. Cool. So, so what, with that in mind, so what would you like to have an opportunity to play? Is it the same? Um, for me, it's different. For me, I, I just wish I had a chance to play in an investigative cop drama. We literally, our TVs are just inundated with things like NCIS and C- yep. CSI and just there's tons of this. But I don't think I've really had a chance. Now, I've run one where it was a, you know, and that'll just one of my favorites um, I'll mention later, where it was a buddy cop and there was two players and they were, you know, like a buddy cop kind of thing. And that's, but I'd love to play in one. And I really never had an opportunity because people don't tend to run those because it's not a cast type thing, right? You know, there's not, it doesn't play out for five people. Maybe, maybe so when you talk about Call of Cthulhu and people have to go to the library and investigate stuff and things like that. But yeah, that's yeah. something I would love to play in is just a good old fashioned modern figure stuff out, get the bad guy, 
Um, even if there is fantastic elements and the bad guy's a vampire, I don't care. It'd be, you know, it'd be fun. It sounds like I need to run a modern Cthulhu one-shot for you, Carl. <laughs> just run a couple of characters and, and kill you in horrible ways. It sounds perfect. <laughs> well, I'd hope that I'd solve the crime before I die. How's that? <laughs> well, the, the key to a good Cthulhu game is you solve the crime just before you die. Yeah. As, as, as you're dying. Why. As you're dying. <laughs> that's right. Oh, yeah, he did it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, for me, I, there was a game that I ran a one-shot for way back in the in the late 90s early 2000s and um and i wish i could play it and i wish i could run it again and it was uh, a, a game by white wolf called wraith the oblivion it was a ghost story effectively but uh, the entire world is is set up in a ghost lands kind of uh, societal structure where the ectoplasm of go- of ghosts can be forged into physical weaponry and chains, and it had a really, really bleak kind of setting, um, almost like a Roman esque kind of culture that, oh, cool. uh, that was there, uh, um, interlaced with the usual kind of um, uh, gothic punk that White Wolf used to do. Um, and I loved the little one shot I ran uh, with a couple of friends, but it never got enough traction. Uh, and popularity with people. It was a really bleak game. You had uh, one of the wonderful things about the game was you you played the person to your left's alter ego and dark side. So uh, oh, everyone, weird. you actually role played the other person's shadow and tempted them with <laughs> shadow dice to uh, to take a darker path. And and it was such a really different game, really varied with a really um, really interesting setting. But it was bleak as hell. Like if you're playing dead people, it's it's not a it's not a pleasant game to play um, for long term. But I really wish I could have had another go at that. And I'm, I might have I might find some hapless victims that'll play that with me again. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, very strange, very wonderful game that I wish uh, I wish I got a chance to have a go at it. But how about you, Eric? What, what what's on your wish well, list? Well, that sounds cool. Um, I want to try that now. Uh, yeah, I mean that. I mean, yeah. What I said, I, I would really like to play kind of bronze age kind of greek you know mediterranean triems like that kind of island topping with that that just that kind of feel what's maybe fantastical like gods are you know how they are and walk among you and like that kind of feeling i think that would be really cool That's something that i've been wanting to play for and, a long and time. i could see a cool campaign that brought in the sea people and the collapse of the bronze age oh boy you could run something yeah pretty epic there i think so um very cool well, hey, again, thanks, Rob, for sending an email. We love to see them and love talking about them. And that really got our our juices flowing on thoughts. And we had bounced stuff off up the, off the mic, and, and it was pretty cool. Thanks for, thanks for the email. So let's go ahead and get right to the main topic. Mystery Theology with Carl and James. Yeah. All right, like I said, we are going to talk about some of, for our season finale, some of the cool things that we've played in, GM'd, and some of the horror stories. And so let's just, uh, without further ado, let's just jump right into them. So let's talk about some of the best things that happened how, um, in playing. Uh, Eric, you play a lot more than all of us. What, what was one of your <laughs> favorite or a couple of your favorites that uh, you played in and what made them so memorable? Are we rotating through or we're just doing all of them at once? Um, well, you, 
if you need to take a breath of air, we'll jump in and I talk mean, about ours. <laughs> well, I mean, again, not not to pander, but like legitimately, uh, both James and Carl games they've they've run have been some of my favorites, like for sure. I mean, Carl, I think you're going to talk about this in your GMing, but Chicago Plex 2090 was a really, really, really fun game with super interesting characters and a really compelling narrative. Um, I loved my character like so much. Uh, you know, I, I like to play kind of humorous, chaotic characters at times, and that was definitely one the most chaotic. I mean, I literally had a death wish. Like he, he was a daredevil, and he wanted people's approval so bad. He, I did, I did the most death wishy things, and I had the best luck with dice. I mean, I literally yeah, pushed my limit. I rode on a it was a cyberpunk game, and I had dual mono whips were the one of the most dangerous weapons because they could they could easily hurt you and they did massive damage and i had i was dual wielding them while on while riding a motorcycle at extreme speeds and i never nothing ever bad happened to me except one time my idol i uh like i tried to do like a just a little stunt and i like just i crit failed and i like the bike fell on me and i farted in front of her so that was it was just a it was just a really really fun game and i <laughs> and i like made stuff for it like i remember when we had a new we, we were we were doing a um, you were looking for a new player Carl and I made like yep. a basically advert in a newspaper from my character's point of view um, with like all of the like just humorous because I like it was a cat person so it's a lot of like I was like bring a pound of catnip and twenty dollars and it's like things like that so I got really <laughs> into the character um, and then James games I mean honestly the, the the pirate game when I first met James we, we played this pirate game and I was really really getting into that game because James knows that setting so well. Um, and I, and I, you know, my character kind of started out, he was a lot, he was a lot, but I think we worked together and yeah, it really, was a lot. it wasn't <laughs> it, it like, and like, you know, he, he changed things. So we had like this really interesting backstory that I was really looking to explore, but unfortunately that, that kind of fell through. So we never got a chance to really explore that. Um, but there was a lot of cool times where I think both of us really got into, you know, the lore of the the setting in the world and i went really i remember i went really hard on a ritual once and james was like you know coming back at me really well so it was really good back and forth and then of course uh fate touch which had some of basically some of the best players i've ever played with um and we yeah. were like extremely role-playing and you can watch most of the episodes on youtube now still uh if you're curious <laughs> uh fate touched um <laughs> but i mean again he, he knows the setting so well and it was just very rich and a lot of improving. I mean, we we mostly role playing, really, um, and the characters were really deep and just a really cool. And I love Sylvan stuff, um, which was funny because everybody else played a Sylvan thing, and I was like, I'm going to play the most unSylvan thing possible for this game. And I played a, a Cobalt Artificer that um, was never really wasn't wasn't comfortable in a forest. So th those were some of my favorites from them. And then real quick at the very end, um, which is funny here is that this is one of Carl's horror stories, but a necessary evil game. Um, just because I love that setting of Necessary Evil and I made the two supervillains that I got to make um, were just fantastic characters and other people had really funny characters and um, yeah, we got to play them off. And then finally, one of my, just at the top of my head that came to it is a kind of a Mouse Guard um, short campaign. Now Mouse Guard is this really cool graphic novel that's also a um, um, a little a game and it's just fantastic game. It's It's really different. I mean, talk about, underrepresented it, you you play a bunch of mice in a i would like not really fantasy but uh, uh you know there's anthropomorphic mice and anthropomorphic animals and um they, they they have this kingdom and there's like you know the dragons are great horned owls and everything is like super all the mechanics are very immersed 
into the world. Like weather is a big mechanic because you're little mice, right? And so it makes you feel like not very strong, but really charming. And so, yeah, and the game itself was really cool. Everybody was really down to, to improv. So that was another really, really cool game. Um, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Um, well, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, I don't get to play as much. And so it really, it was a recent game that popped to mind as one of my favorites. And it's actually, you know, call out to Eric. It was, uh, one of the campaigns he was running, um, for a short period of time. And I got to play a Mr. Fix it. Mr. Handy. Mr. Handy. Mr. Handy. Sorry. (laughs) Mr. Handy and a fall. I'm not a big fallout fan. So this was like discovering this world of fallout was part of the fun because I wasn't, I had no expectations because I'm not a Fallout uh, aficionado, but um, I played this robot and I started off as more of an NPC because I couldn't be there, but he just had such, he had such personality. He was a lab assistant robot in the previous times at a college. And so he somehow imprinted the college football team on him and he was a huge football fan and he, he wanted to be accepted by everybody. So he'd attempt to do tricks and he just happened to have a kind of a, a laser torch flamethrower and so he tried to do tricks with that and start the, he would start buildings on fire accidentally and <laughs> it, hilarity would ensue and he and just the mannerism i got such a good chance to role play him as he would have his mannerisms and how he would speak and you know that that alone just being able to kind of immerse in that character i really really enjoyed so um so thanks to eric for that that little bit of fun that i got to have as a player for sure I'm a bit like you. I, I haven't had a lot of time playing, but my, I've got two, I think, really amazing uh, experiences where I've played that actually have changed the way I run games as well. I think I think anyone who runs games a lot really should play if they can, just to see what it's like from the other side of the screen and get a sense of kind of how how it feels in terms of, you know, how how a game runs. My first example is from... A long time ago now we're probably talking 25 years ago um we played i played this is my first vampire the masquerade session and i'd been playing dungeons and dragons and rolling you know beating up go- goblins and orcs for many years but then played this one amazing game with um a storyteller and i and i and i'm so sorry i've forgotten her name uh, but it was a game that lasted 10 hours we started at sunset and played pretty much through till dawn um, and I reckon we rolled dice twice as, as the whole group. It was a free-form role-play experience where it was all character-driven and all plot-driven and, and quite wonderful, and it changed the way that I looked at, at running games after that to add more character, more plot, more depth, more more role-playing, more NP, deeper NPCs, I think. Um, and I, I, I'm so it was a one-shot, but it was at a party, and we just kept on playing, and no one wanted to stop. And so it was one of those games that kind of went on and on and on i I then later on turned that game into some radio dramas that um, for university and it just kind of kept going and it has stuck with me ziontes and the torridor that kind of crew was an amazing role-playing experience um the other example i I'd, i'd like to talk about is one i've just finished um we finished a campaign a dungeons and dragons campaign that got to level 20 um our Dungeon Master Stu was, and I hope Stu, g'day Stu if you're listening, um, quite a unique Dungeon Master in that he does a lot of homebrew um, and a lot of drawing down from lots of different myths. So we did a lot of Japanese mythology, we did a lot of Syrian mythology, 
um, that were kind of the basis of a lot of his storytelling and the basis of a lot of his monster making. Um, but one thing that really got me was the epicness of that game. Um, the fights were extraordinary. You know, you the games that you feel like at any point we're all going to die, at any point the, the, the world will be lost, at any point we can rise as heroes. Um, just this epic, epic nature of a campaign that really built over over the course of many years. And the last months of that campaign, when, you know, the fate of the world is in your hands and you're watching the, the effects of the decisions you've made years before, um, quite epic. Um, and so really raising the stakes in terms of the massiveness that you can do in role-playing game and just throwing the mundanity away and say, no, we're going we're gonna to do big, big, big things which is um, something that I, I, I tend to not do. I, I guess when you're storytelling in a lot of games, you kind of, in some ways, keep the powder dry a little bit. You don't kind of do the full-on end-of-the-world epic stuff. And when you actually get to play in one of those campaigns where where the fate of the world is in your hands, really, really good fun as a player. Really, really awesome. That sounds fantastic. That's cool. That's really cool. So we'll, so we'll stick with you, James. Let's talk about on the game mastering side. Um what, what come on, what what uh, awesome uh, awesome stuff happened there? Yeah, I've, I've, um, all my awesome stuff about games mastering is about players. Really, it's really interesting, isn't it? Like you know, at the end of the day, you write games that you hope your players will engage with. You hope that you're going to create stories that uh, that are fun and that are engaging, and that that players are going to respond with in terms of story and NPCs. Um, all of my favourite games have been about players that have done that, that have taken the 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 idea and the kernel of the idea of of, the, of where the campaign's going and responded in significant ways, that have bought into the story, that have had a really good time. Um, I played in an epic game years and years ago of Werewolf the Apocalypse. We ran in a game set in Australia with a whole heap of um, very close friends. And again, an epic game, saving the saving the entire world from extra-dimensional forces, huge epic combats, lots of very cartoony-like combat, really, really amazing epic encounters where, uh, where the fate of the world was on people's hands. And the players lent into that and were really heroic. You know, when you... When, Sometimes with these kind of high fantasy, high adventure, high epic-like games, the, you want to throw caution to the wind. You want them to be, you know, teetering off collapsing buildings and fighting to the bitter end, and those players did that. So for me, that was a really wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, I'll shout back to Eric with Faye Touched. Um, that was a quite a unique experience for me. Um, I'd never played, I'd never run a streamed game before, and it was the first time that we really auditioned players, which is something that you don't normally get to do, do you? You get to kind of get friends, but when you can actually audition and and, and select some players based on on their just um, amazing acting and role playing ability, um, I felt very very privileged with that one. And in that game, it was a game where. Because you're streaming it and because you know that other people will be watching it, I, everyone was, hey, on their best behavior. But also, <laughs> um, but also you end up putting a lot more effort in into both your creation of the world and creation of NPCs and your acting of those NPCs and making sure that your story plot lines are, uh, um, are transparent and easy to understand. And then you just un unveil it to these very, very talented role players that just gave me 
just so much joy. You know, there were many times in that game that it'd be 15, 20 minutes before I'd realise I hadn't said anything for a while. And, then, and you're, just, you're just becoming a participant and a spectator of really great role-playing. So very, very lucky for that one. But, I mean, having said that, I think we did some great things to make sure that that happened. You know, really rich backstories, really rich understanding about how the story was going to go, great levels of trust where you, you're placing the story in the player's hands and lots of discussion offline about how you how how you wanted to approach that game and how, how we would play it. So uh, it's a little bit, not I wouldn't call it fake because it was very real. It was a very real game. They had no idea what was coming at them from session to session. But, um, but just curating a game like that was very, very amazing. And I, I just want to do one last little shout out. I am currently running a Masks of Nyarlathotep Call of the Cthulhu game. Uh, with some very close um, old friends uh, that is now entering its third year. Um, very fun, very pulpy, very adventure-like, lots of clues, lots of fun, and we turn it into an event every time we play. Um, you know, everyone comes around to my house and we, 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 we pull out the old gin and tonics and, and kind of the props are out and the music's out and it, it becomes quite, a, quite an amazing it's not just a normal like put the screen out, roll some dice. It's a, it's a dress up, fun, immersive kind of game, and uh, and I love it. I look forward to it every month and and really really enjoy it. But um, they're they're my top three out of many many hundreds of games. But they're <laughs> they're the ones I've really loved, and it's and it's really because of the players. The players make these games the best. So, I that uh, I I watched a little bit of the the Fate Touch on when you guys were streaming it and it was it was fantastic to watch it was that was a lot of fun the characters definitely made made for the show um and eric's character definitely uh definitely threw monkey wrenches in and all that sort of thing to make uh to make it that much more fun so that's cool i i personally have uh i have two campaigns and a one shot actually for a convention i ran a convention game called dragonlance top knots and tachesis for years and years and years and I, I've never played a game where I've been actually literally on the floor laughing. I mean, literally, this is not you know a saying. Um, and the, the the premise was you were captured by the Dark Army, um, and you basically escape, and you're trying to take a artifact that they found, which was based of a previous adventure that was also run at the convention. Um, so this was kind of after that adventure had occurred, and you were trying to take that and whisk it away from within the the camp of one of the one of the uh, head honchos and suddenly um, dragon high lords and the idea is that you try to get away but the players who were playing the kender and there was three kender so first off that's probably a mistake i made but there was three kender <laughs> they decided to go into the tent of the dragon high lord and take their stuff back and then okay that's fine that's kind of expected but then they decided to steal his helmet and just the things they did, they never got caught, they never got, but the things they were doing, just, we were laughing so hard that these players, and so it's, like you said, it's the players that made the game, right? This, this was basically steal it, get it on a boat, go take it away kind of adventure, and it turned into this just absolute funny, funny, chaos. funny. Yeah, it was chaos yeah. because of the Kender players, and, and I'd like to revisit that again using Savage Worlds rules, because um, that was D&D first edition. Um, so, yeah, I, I just love that. I love that one shot. Um, second one is, Eric mentioned it, Chicago Plex 2090. Great, great players, lots of fun, cool characters. Um, that game was all about 
somebody trying to take over Chicago in this game was kind of a city state surrounded mm-hmm. by huge walls to keep the it's a cyberpunk game to keep kind of the wastelands away from the city, this mega city that everybody lived in um, that basically took over the entire Chicagoland area and is one big city now. Um, and it was just so nice that I, I lived in Chicago for a while so I could bring in that knowledge of the things that happened in Chicago and some of the history. And, and there was, there was this force that um, basically wanted to take over the city and they had three different ways they were working it. And the players ultimately unraveled all of them um, as they were going along, but they thought, they thought certain people were against each other and they weren't, but it was all kind of one big plan with three different legs and, and they did a great job of figuring it out. But the best moment I think for me personally was that one of the characters was a cop who did this stuff on the side, who, who you know, did running on the side to make money because he was a gambler and blew all his money. And none of the players realized he was a cop. It was almost like, it, it wasn't like hidden. It was kind of out there. And until he became the face because he solved the mystery and they found out he became the face of the Chicago Defense Force. And suddenly all the players are going, wait, wait, you were a cop? You're, you're, a, what, you're a cop? <laughs> It was hilarious. I, I thought that was just so much fun. Um, and then my last one is is a campaign setting that I created called Vampire Empire, which basically there's an old world and a new world. And the old world is where vampires kind of run everything, and it's sort of medieval. And centuries ago, humans escaped to another land that had nobody there, like the new world. And they grew up to be a modern, you know, with guns and cops and civilization. And the and the this fantasy element is trying to kind of weave itself into the new world. They found out the new world existed basically. And it was such an amazing thing because it was a buddy cop game. There was two people who were part of the um, part, part of the police force who were knew these things were existing and they were sort of out there trying to discover why and what was going on. And at some point they even had to um, get in front of the Senate committee to explain why they were working with the vampires, because there was a good vampire who wanted everything. And it was just nothing as cool as having people role play talking to a senator, um, because it's like senators ask tough questions. So what you're saying is that you're for vampires. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there's <laughs> a, it, it was just so much fun, so much fun. So that's those are my top really, as far as a couple of campaigns. And, and a lot of those were character-driven, too. So I didn't think about that until you mentioned it, James. But um, a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed those. And there's so many more I've enjoyed that Eric's played in. But those were the ones that struck a, struck a, a note to me um, when I was thinking about it. Eric, what about you? Well, I mean, uh, not comparing to you guys who have a much more wealth of games behind you. Um, but, yeah, I mean, a couple stood out. And I think they stood out mainly because they were so surprising in the direction they took. I mean, uh, while I loved my, the Fallout game that I made, and I, honestly, Carl, I think your character was my favorite, especially at the end. Um, that game, unfortunately, just kind of fell through because a lot of people scheduling stuff and everything. Um, but later on, I ran a, I guess I would say a one-shot, but I think James would call it a mini-campaign. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, I think it was th- four sessions, maybe? Um, four sessions. That's a three, long three sessions. <laughs> um, and it was, it was with a bunch of other gaming guys that I know. Then none of them knew, well, it was many different genders, but, um, 
uh, none of them really knew Savage Worlds that well. And it was using the Fallout. It was in the Fallout world, but they really knew Fallout. And it was this, and I said it was, okay, this is going to be, you know, compared to the other one, which I was trying to be a little bit more simulationist with, the post-apocalyptic elements, this one was completely pulpy, completely over the top, and it was a big heist. They were breaking into a, basically the equivalent of a brother, Brotherhood of Steel kind of um, bunker to, to steal this old technology. And what I didn't expect, I thought, okay, this would just be a fun, easy game just to get them learn. But they were so into their, they knew Fallout so well, and they, they made such really insane, intriguing backstories and characters that pulled from, even though my setting took place in basically what was Idaho, so it was like kind of a new, because I wanted to do my own thing using the Fallout lore, there was such drawbacks. So th their characters were much richer than I expected, and the level of hijinks because of that were just so over the top, and they just they just like kind of leaned in so much. And the rolling was also, like, you know, Savage Worlds was crazy, so I thought people would die at times, and the, they really utilized their knowledge of the world to do really surprising things. So that was just like a it's completely over the top, basically like a train that's going off the rails, but didn't fall over, if that makes sense. Like, that's how yeah, yeah. energetic and crazy it was. Um, and then the other one that came to mind was pretty much the only, I think I did a one shot before in, in real life. All my other times, I've you know, most of my playing and jamming have been online, but this was a, you know, obviously way pre-COVID um, when I was younger, but see, I never played games. I never played tabletop games when I was like, I think Carl and James, like as a kid or as a teenager, I came into it later. Um, I was into board games, um, like hobby board games. Um, but this was a, uh, in real life game that I ran that used the faith, which is, I don't know if I ever brought, brought it up in the podcast before, but it's one of my, it's a, it's a game from uh, Spanish, um, uh, designers, publishers, um, that I actually designed some stuff for that they put in the book. And it's this really cool science fiction science fiction setting that's a little bit hard sci-fi, but has all these weird kind of conceptual things with gods and, and kind of magic from that and cyberpunk elements and weird aliens. So it's this really cool setting. And it, it, mechanics are really interesting. They use like cards, like a playing cards instead of dice, um, but really novel ways of mechanics. And um, so a really cool setting. And... Again, these are people that weren't the most experienced tabletop people. I wasn't the most experienced either. Um, but the game itself, just because of the setting being so weird, I, I took a really weird turn and got much more serious than I ever thought it would get. Um, and it was some like really intense interpersonal drama at times that, um, you know, I think that's what sci-fi does the best is that you can like use science fiction to, I mean, all games, but science fiction can really be used to like, uh, um, um, uh, not uh, evaluate to, to really dissect kind of current world politics and so it kind of came yep. in this was this was at the beginning of the of of um uh right before like 2016 elections and so there was like the politicking that started going on and and kind of getting into like what that means for different these different civilizations i don't i don't want to get too much more into it but it was just like really intriguing what like it just turned into this like kind of treaties on political ideology in you know but it's like in, in like uh, a, a space and like way out in like a uh, kind of um, distant space and <laughs> a good a good black mirror. Where, yes, where the game's exactly. Kind of very very good yeah, black yeah. mirror and kind of dissecting that at what it means to be um, in, in a society that are, um, you know, these two societies were so diverse, was culturally so divergent, but they had to survive based on their circumstances. So it was just a really interesting, like just turned into this almost philosophical kind of. Um, TED Talk almost like about that. So yeah, that was that was just a really cool one because of how surprising it was. 
Very cool. Very cool. So a lot of a lot of really good stuff happened, but then what's always kind of fun in my mind is learning about the horror stories. And I guess you can change the names to protect the innocent if you so desire. But um, <laughs> let's talk about some of those not the bestest of the games that we played. Um, so let's talk about from a player perspective. Um, Eric, this might be one that you do. You have some uh, some oh, yeah. good ones I, to share. Oh, I, I thought have so. Yeah, three, yeah. I have it was, three. It was James's game, and he was terrible. <laughs> he was he's a tyrant. We've got three uh, bad player experiences. Oh my god! I mean, I have more than that. I mean, because because I've I've played so many games, and I, I think there was a when Roll Twenty really exploded. There was so many new game masters who. And, and younger people, and not to judge younger people, but I just think generally people that maybe weren't appreciative of certain, like timing, time, people's time, you know, I don't know. There, there was just a lot of people doing games and, you know, everybody wanted to be a Matt Mercer maybe. I, I don't know what it is, but here, but here are my quick top three <laughs> that just came to mind. The first one was the most bizarre out of all of them. And it was, I joined this game. This, this, this guy had a, the longest player um, resume, introduction, uh, a job interview, I guess. It, was, it wasn't It was him asking questions. He, he's like, here, take this sheet. And what I realized afterwards that this was just something that he must have just found. And it was like easily yeah. two and a half, three pages of not just your backstory, but like, what is your character's, you know, like hopes and dreams. But it was like, what do they think about this thing? What, what would they say on this scale? If they were to encounter this situation, how would they react? It was like the most detail-oriented um uh, I can't think of the word right now, but um, jo- you know, like uh, survey or whatever it was that I had to fill out. Yep. So, I, so my thinking was, oh wow, this is going to be this is going to be a really intense role play. You know, the, he's really into character, and so I, you know, which I've now come that certain times I won't make as big of a backstory because I don't want to get too invested in that without if somebody doesn't care about that. Um, but I made like a good backstory, and literally this game master when we started the game. He didn't, not only did he not read anything, he didn't even know what class I was playing. Um, I don't think he even knew what type of ancestry I was. Like, he didn't know anything about my character. And so it was like, it was so shallow. Um, he, like, we, we went to a map, and this is another thing that, like, the combat that happened, which I just thought was weird that, like, you know, I, I don't care, you know, if you're, if it's, you're playing off the seat of your pants, you're, you're doing whatever, you know, put out a blank map, do some squiggly lines, that's fine. But it was literally like a winter map. And instead of just doing like a white background with some squiggle, which would have been sense for like a wind, you know, a pure snowed in area, he brought out like a, it was like a forest map with like elf ruins on it or something. And like, and like, okay, this is snow. And I was like, well, why are we using like, it's almost harder for me now that you're using a map with like <laughs> completely different, you know, everything than just a blank white page. And then, and then this was the cherry on top. That he that suddenly stopped speaking and we were like hello hello and somebody was like oh yeah I play with some games that this happens he falls asleep he literally fell asleep during the session and we had and 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 just didn't wake and nothing we just left the game so that and like so the next you know later on I I was like I'm okay I'm you know I I just the game's not for me I basically said I I did it very like cordially but that was you know it was like a lot of red flags right. Life's too short, for sure. Yes, life's too short to have game masters who... It, it wasn't just that he fell asleep this one time, that this time, oh, it happens. Like, uh, enough that this guy knew what it was. <laughs> um, you know, he just... He, he, he was doing too much and just didn't... Yeah, anyways. Um, 
Another one for me was we were playing a game and, and you know, the ga- he was running a Pathfinder. It was a, a game where I forget the name of it, but it was a Pathfinder AP where you play as evil. It was, it was an evil campaign. And you basically sign a contract with As- As- Asmodeus, which is a devil lord, lord of hell, I think. Um, and uh, what we found out later, so this was this was for 5e, but it was a Pathfinder 1e um, AP. And he, he ran the game and, you know, he wasn't, I wouldn't say he was the best game master, but it was fine. He, he was doing his best with what he had, I guess. But like the other people were really good. So it kept my attention. You know, they were really fun to play with and I had a fun character. Um, but then eventually I guess that he was using a third-party conversion that somebody had made, and then that conversion had ended. So he decided to just take the original 1E version and use that, but he did not adjust any of the creature stats. Um, (laughs) And I don't know if you know, like 5E uses bounded accuracy, right? And 1E is basically 3.5 on crack, and so it was like, okay, you have to hit a 35 AC. And this went on, and it was like, dude, you can't do this. Like, and it was just go- going on. And then at the same time, he was trying to like start up a streaming thing and wanted to get us involved and pay money to, to help him out and do this. And I was like, you don't have the, you know, in my mind, I was like, you don't have the chops, obviously, if you don't understand bounded accuracy at the very least, that you can't just grab a Pathfinder 1E monster and use that. Um, so that one was just like, just the, just the way that it so quickly degraded because he kind of didn't understand the basics of the mechanics behind these things. Um, and then thirdly, another game that, where it was just, there was two things about it where, you know, kind of started out where it was kind of a run of the mill, you know, oh, you have to collect things for the game. But the person started putting just more and more in random encounters. And when I mean random encounters, it was like non-stop random combat encounters and then also this person had a crush on my character like the game master Uh. had a crush on my character and started just being very weird towards me as far as her like i kind of became the main character and giving me things and then also kind of like talking to me out of out of the game and just really awkward things like that so that was just like it 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 got more i don't want to get into the details but it just got really weird in that way um so it was that combination of that and also just like seriously i've never had so many boring non-stop common encounters like just like okay we move five feet okay here's some really you know 10 easy like really easy things that we had to fight that just were no challenge but just took up time and it was just like kind of went on like that uh, and just kind of degraded again so those are probably my biggest um playing yeah and i have some other ones that i brought up before with another you know with another player who eventually just got really angry and did, i think i talked about it and then wanted to kill our characters and, re- and so but yeah those are my so i, yeah, I yeah, had a yeah. lot of passion in that one because i had some pretty a lot of those there's a lot of kind of those but yeah <laughs> um a little oh, narco- a little narcolepsy problem cr- falling asleep just randomly crushes and crushes on players characters oh (laughs) makes his skin crawl to think even oh yeah Uh, Yeah. i I have one terrible experience and it made me the dungeon master that i am it it, and this is playing my first ever game of dungeons and dragons i i played and never got a turn and i i always remember this (laughs) as what not to do i i was very excited I'd, i'd read the hobbit I was a young kid. I would have been about nine. And I was like, I want to play D&D. This is really good fun. And I want to play a wizard. 
and I want to be like Gandalf and, okay, I only get one spell and it's magic missile. I don't care. I'm an old wizard with a staff and I roll my hit points and I got two hit points and we were ambushed in our first game and a goblin threw a rock at me before I had a turn and it killed me. <laughs> and then they said, that's it for you. We're not going to roll any more characters because it's a one shot. So you can go now. <laughs> and so my first ever oh rock game was I didn't get to say a word. I didn't get to do a thing. I didn't get to interact with the world at all. I, I got hit in the head by a rock wow. thrown by a goblin and it was over. And I went, that's it. This game's dumb. I want to run it differently. And so bought the books and then went, that's it. I'm running it. So my first <laughs> ever playing experience was so damn bad that I didn't play again for about 15 years and I just ran games for other people because it was just so blind, blindingly awful as an experience. I'm amazed that I kept playing, to be honest. But, yeah, yeah I, that was I, my I, one and amazed. only bad experience. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, have had, I have had other experiences, I guess, and I think everyone does, where, you know, you... Different dungeon masters have different priorities, real yeah. world things, getting involved in games, uh, you know, unprepared. You know, everyone knows all the bad DM tropes, and I think I've had all of those at one time or another, but uh, there was nothing worse than my first ever game of D&D. Carl, what was your bad player horror stories? Well, I've, I've got three that really came to mind right off the top of my head. Two are one shots from conventions, and one was a campaign I was in, and it was in, I was in a campaign with Eric, on this one, I came in late, so um, it was necessary evil. He enjoyed it, but I came in late, so I <laughs> think I came in when it was three quarters of the way done. And I had a character that I thought was just a cat's meow, and and he, and uh, they, we were in a battle, and he was using his powers really cleverly to stop a dragon, I think, from tearing the party apart. But he got captured, and the players went to save him. And the game master, basically, when they opened the door in this mansion, he'd roll a die. And I think out of one or two, I was in the room. And then he rolled a die again. And one to three, I was dead. And four to five, six, I'd be alive. Oh. And that was it. It was like completely, utterly arbitrary that I lived or died. It's a goblin and a rock again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I almost felt more sorry for the players who were still alive because, you know, they're going to rescue and they can be good big damn heroes. And, oh, by the way, he's already dead. He's been dead. You know, he's, you know, he's been tortured to death. And yeah. It was a shame. But uh, I, I don't like arbitrary stuff like that. It, that really kind of bothered me. And I had another character that turned out to be a lot of fun to play. But it, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way to start with. And so... Um, and then the, the two, the two, uh, one shots, one was, um, I, I, anybody who knows me knows I love nanomachines. It's a, it's a big thing. I just love the concept of a nanomachine and nanobots and, and stuff like that. And so I played a game where this company invented a nanomachine and we were running a factory and, and I can't remember all the, the story behind it, but, uh, you know, this game master, the nano machines were supposed to escape and create gray goo, which is for those who know about the nanotechnology that there's always this self-replicating that they would go and turn the earth into just a pile of goo as they repurposed all of the molecules into building themselves. Well, I did everything right, in my opinion, everything right to stop this. And I had it all ready to go. But damn it, they were going to cause gray goo. He had an agenda and didn't matter what the players yeah. were going to do. 
the world was going to turn into gray goo. And it just really made me upset because I spent a lot of time figuring this out. And it wasn't like Call of Cthulhu, right? I mean, it was, there wasn't an expectation that cosmic horror is going to happen and you're going to die. We were thinking, how can we solve this problem before it gets bad? Um, the world was savable, but wasn't really. Yeah. No, but really wasn't. Yeah, that's horrible. And then the last one is interesting. It's a great concept. So the, I played in the game where the individual had um, physical puzzles. So oh. there was like a padlock we had to get in to this room. And so he handed us a school locker padlock. Just, you know, because we found a document that had what could be the right combination on it. So he hands us the padlock. I don't know about you, but I haven't opened a combination lock since high school. Um, you know, really, th- th- was that three spins and then two back, or is that three? I, I have no idea. Yeah, and we yeah, just yeah. and we couldn't figure out how to open this lock when our obviously our characters could. And then once we got fin- finished that, he finally said, "Okay, well, you guys know how to open the lock, and you get through the lock." He uh, handed us like a game where you build a circuit, <laughs> um, like one of these kids' toys, and we had to build a circuit to bypass this alarm system. And so we're like going okay i you know i'm an electrical engineer in training so it was like or i was trained electrical so i was like oh i can make a circuit but the other guys were like looking at this thing going what what do we do how do we even approach this thing and every puzzle was a physical challenge so it was the height of player knowledge versus character knowledge it was all yes. player knowledge i don't even know if i remember what my character's job was or what his background was because it was completely irrelevant to the yeah. story that he was a uh, I think he was an explosive expert, but at no time did I have a chance to plan a explosive and do anything with that. It was all these these puzzles. It sounds, it sounds like that was a good thing because yeah. it could have been here. Here's a stick of C four. Uh, try and disarm this actual explosive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that could have been. That would have been bad. Yeah, the nano machines would have escaped and bad things would have happened. So, so those are the ones that stuck in mind. And you can see that they're all based on not letting the characters. You know, have a win, even if there's a loss. You know, the, I, I, yeah. I'm a fan of my characters, and I, I don't like when I feel like the Game Master is not a fan of me as a character. So, um, anyway, that, that's my yeah, playing I, side I, it's, of it. It's interesting, isn't it? All of them really focus in on the loss of player agency in a lot of ways. It's kind of, it's like, yeah, not being able to kind of control your own fate or say a word or do a thing. Dan, that dungeon master, whoever that kid was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I've had times um, like so that. I think game? with me, it was, oh, those were just like, those were just the most surprising and weird ones that I've had. Uh, but yeah, I yeah. want to add in, Carl, pretty much any game, anytime there's in a game when they put a puzzle forward and it's like not a player, it's not a character puzzle, it's a player puzzle. I'm like, no. And there's no like, okay, you, your character can roll and I'll give you a hint. It's just like a, a bunch of puzzles. Every single time that happens, I'm like, nope. <laughs> nope. Uh, it's like the Game Master metagame. We've actually did an episode in, in um, Tabletop Tango about puzzles and stuff like that. Remember? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah. It was, and it was like player knowledge versus character knowledge, yeah. and that was one of the things. How do you balance balance that and uh, allow the characters to be successful when they should be successful because they know stuff that you don't. Yeah, right. They, and it's because they like know you know, runes. our characters know how to fight using. I I don't know how to fight using. Well, I do know. I'm not, I've never used a longsword. So yeah, a, 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 I like I. Your character knows how to use a longsword very well, but I don't know how to use a longsword. But the game master's not like here's a longsword, you know. So yeah. Anyways, so so let's so let's round it all out with <laughs> game mastering horror stories. Um, so I I I have a few. But I only want to focus on one because, you know, time's growing short. <laughs> um, and this was a convention game I ran for years. And it also was Dragonlance. 
And this was the Dragonlance game that preceded Top Knots and Takesis. And so in this case, you go to a newly discovered Tower of High Sorcery, which I revamped for Savage Worlds and ran that at Gen Con a year ago or two years ago. Um, but at this time, it, so there was this Tower of High Sorcery, and you had to go into it to find this, this artifact that could change the balance of power between the good and evil forces, as all good artifacts should, right? Um, and I had a 13-year-old who just had to play a white robe wizard. He just, he, he you know, it's like, are you sure? Because these were high level, higher level characters. There's lots of spells. And this kid said, nope, I want to do it. And I have nothing against 13-year-olds because my children were 13-year-olds at the time going to the game and playing good games and stuff. And so I, I had no reason to, but, oh, was he off the rails? He just... You know, he he wanted to stab stuff, or he wanted to use his most powerful spell against the least interesting thing that he possibly could cast it against. <laughs> and, every, and everybody kept saying, and I think his father was there. I'm not sure, but everybody would keep like putting their hand up as he was going. Well, I'm going to cast fireball, and they'd put their hand up. And go, uh, are you sure you want to do that? No, you don't want to cast fireball right now. Um, maybe you cast it later. He goes, No, I really think fireball is the right answer. And it's like, Oh my god. This is not, you're in the middle of the tower going up the stairs. Why do you want to cast Fireball right now? I, I know it's fun, but, um, and then we got to the very top where you're supposed to meet the, the tower master and convince him to let you have the artifact. Kid attacked them. They opened the door. Here's a white robe wizard who's, who's ancient and, you know, um, bony. He's lich-like because, but he's still a white robe wizard. And the kid saw him and was like, oh, evil. And he goes and attacks him. And all hell, he Leroy Jenkins. And, and although everyone else was like, stop, no, stop. And this was back when I had six characters at a table. And it was like, no, no. It's like, oh, my God, I have never actually had to use the spell list of this, this white robe wizard. I guess I'm going to have to pull him out and dust him off because I've never, ever actually had to attack anybody. And he was just wild. This, this guy was just off the rails continuously. So... Anyway, I, I'm not doing justice to how crazy that was. It, maybe it's also the best game. I don't know. I, you know, so it was just crazy. So, um, sounds so anyway. like every other Thursday with my 13 year old group. To be honest, <laughs> it's, it's kind of that's it's, it's, some kids can be like that. They just want to see the world burn in a lot of ways. I think it's funny. What, what one of my horror stories and all my horror stories are me. These are my fault, not anyone else's fault. Um, lessons learned where. Over time, I guess you run enough games and you get to see yourself turn into the villain. Um, for me, my one of mine was Dragonlance as well, and I was the 13-year-old, but I was the 13-year-old Dungeon Master. Dragonlance had just come out as the books, and at the same time, they released the modules as a companion to the books, and the modules roughly followed the way that the novels yep. were going. And so I ran these games for my friends, and then constantly corrected them when they were playing it wrong because that's not how it was done in the book. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I, I would have the, the module out behind the screen and I'd have the book open to the correct page and I'd go, no, 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 that's not what you do. Sturm would do this because that's what's in the book and railroaded these poor buggers for a year. I just feel <laughs> so bad for it. Oh, later. my goodness. Yeah, for oh, a year. Wow. And they, they put kept up going, with it. Well, they yeah, didn't they know any different. They, they didn't know it. They didn't know that's not how you play Dungeons and Dragons, and I didn't know any better. And it wasn't till later that I played a game where I didn't have a novel to determine what the players did that I realised how bad I was. So, you know, it, these things happen. Uh, more recently, I've 
more recently in Call of Cthulhu, I've had some real. I've had a couple of shocking games that I that I regret in a great way. One of them I did a Christmas one shot for some players about two years ago, where they uh, they they were just looking as a they lived for all over the world. It was during pandemic lockdown. They just wanted to to find a way to get together to play together again and wanted someone else to, to run a game that they could just play and they asked for a, a Christmas-themed uh, game. And I didn't ask the one really important question that I think I should have asked for that group, which was, have you ever played Call of Cthulhu before? And didn't realise how experienced that group was, didn't realise how well they'd played together how long they've played together, how good their actual normal storyteller was. And I gave them the most dumbed down, kid-like, boring, obvious trope, obvious plot game <laughs> ever to these complete veteran role players that were just wonderful. And they kind of rolled their eyes and kind of put up with me for a while. But as the hours went on in this game, I just felt more and more and more uncomfortable with the choices that I was making and the story that I was telling because they were so obviously just pandering me at that point where they just went, this guy's rubbish, but we'll just, we're, we're here, we're here, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. And it was um, it made my skin crawl. So if you're running one shot for people you've not played with before, it's always good to ask, hey, have you ever done this? Just to give an idea of that. Um, and the, the third one broke my heart a bit. And when, we, when you talk a little bit about players and player dynamics, player falling out um is a great way. I mean, at the end of the day, people falling out around the table will kill a campaign. There's no, there's no question about it. I had a really fun little pulp Cthulhu game going that had lasted about a year. I had two players drop out of that game for life reasons. One had had a baby and the other one moved away. And I recruited two more and, and in, recruited bad blood almost immediately. One of the players had a very different way of playing the game than another very headstrong player within the game. Neither were incorrect, if that makes sense. They were both approaching the game differently. They, they were just two personalities that were never, ever, ever going to, to kind of be able to play together. And I persevered with that for three months of, you know, six sessions of just bickering and arguing and arguing and bickering. And I, and I didn't recognise it quick enough to just remove the new guy that was causing the issue. And in the end... The whole game just collapsed, and it was a it was a really lovely, wonderful game with really wonderful players, and it's just one of those things that, that the and I think we should possibly do a, an episode on this at some point. But that management of player personalities can be such a a massive thing in terms of people's enjoyment, and I just got that one wrong. So yeah, it, these are these are the, the horror stories of my own doing in some ways in terms of running games. Eric, what's the worst game you ever <laughs> ran, and and was it the Agents of Woe? <laughs> What? Whoa. <laughs> well, I would say I would say the, the first episode because I was sick and I think I tried to get too much stuff in. I think that, that so that was the, well, obviously it wasn't the worst game. I think so I'd fun. I was curious. No, 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 no. But, I was, game was but I was but I was disappointed. But, but I was just but I was just like the first one I felt wasn't as good as the second one I could, as it could have been because I was some some other reasons. But no, the, the worst one for me was again, I haven't jammed that much compared to these fine fellows um but this one was another one that was it was one of my only in in real life games and this one was a weird one that uh, so i for a while i would do 
at my local game store, they would do kind of a, um, well, you know, I kind of got it going back up and it was like me and a couple of other older guys, like my age guys. Um, and it was just kind of like a, it was, I think it was kind of like adventure league, but it was like pretty kind of more loose than that. It was, it bas- I think it was adventure league, but it was kind of a little bit more, um, loose, you know, and, and our characters kind of continued yep. on. It wasn't quite a campaign. And then one time, uh, the guy, the, the guy who run it couldn't, couldn't show up and, um, I offered to run kind of a, you know, another, kind of basically a one shot. And um, so I was expecting kind of people my own age and we, you know, we're, we're, you know, mature. So kind of getting a little bit more explicit about certain things or getting, well, you know, swearing to things like that. Um, and oh, no. uh, this, where is this going? Well, the, well, this kid, <laughs> this, so this kid showed up um, oh, no. and I wasn't expecting the game I wanted to run. And, you know, the kid, he, you know, I, I'm not really sure what his, you know, he was a nice enough kid, but he, but he it was maybe a little bit socially awkward. And and the, so the two worst things about it were, for one, his mom was there, um, it sat in the, you know, enough in, in like she wasn't right at the table, but she was in the game room. Um, and also he, oh he, he, he was like a, I, you know, again, he was kind of maybe he was socially awkward. We were older and his character didn't want to do any violence. He was like a pacifist, but it was like a pretty, you know, it's a violent game and kind of didn't understand the yes andness of D&D. And so kind of was shutting people down at the same time and wanted to do, you know, he was like the most, he wasn't a paladin, but he was basically lawfully stupid, you know, and didn't want to fight at all ever. And so it just was this big like wrench in this game that I wasn't nervous about, yeah. but it was one of the first things I ever game mastered. So it was just like real awkward. His mom was there. We were all, it was just so awkward. It was just so awkward. I can't explain how awkward it was <laughs> with, you know, a kid. And again, we weren't, it wasn't like overly explicit. It was just like, uh, yeah, just, uh, and just shook me up a little bit. Um, and the other time was, I think like James has said, this was something that I thought about when you were speaking, but just something that, you know, I learned later on to be more aware of and kind of player sensibilities. And this 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 guy, he, he was more he was really into his character and I just completely forgot his backstory. And um, and I think his backstory had something to do with him in real life with his like parents. I, I don't remember the, the details of it, but I just wrote something and it was just basically his backstory. And I just kind of, you know, ran all over his backstory because I just didn't realize what I was writing was similar enough. And I kind of had to think on my feet, but basically yep. I like destroyed his backstory and his character did then didn't really make sense. So I just felt really, I just felt like really horrible about that um, because, you know, I didn't want to do that. And it was kind of like, you know, I'm sure he had like a bad game master moment, um, story from that of just, oh, here's the game master who just completely um, bulldoze over my character's backstory, basically, even though I wasn't ruined trying to, I just deliberately ru- ruined my dreams. Yeah, I yeah. ruined his, his character just because I just, I, I didn't realize play the, again. the thing I was writing was so similar to his backstory and I just had completely forgotten his backstory. Um, so yeah, that was another one that was, it was one time I threw a rock at a wizard and yeah, just instantly, just instantly and <laughs> a child was crestfallen and I said, and I said, leave and shame. And I, I, yeah, <laughs> I took his lunch money too. While I was at it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, that, well, that was, uh, well, that was super enlightening. Those were good stories. Um, I'm glad we used this as the season finale. Cause these are great. These are awesome stories. I really enjoyed them. So, um, 
Any final thoughts before I Hopefully get Hopefully there's the some thing? lessons learned there that it wasn't just us airing yeah, dirty somewhere. laundry. I think there was a few yeah. lessons that could be learned there. Yeah, absolutely. There's always something to learn from, from a good story, positive and negative, right? So um, every story has some uh, moral that we can take away from it, right? Absolutely. So, well, all right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, remember to drop by MasteringTheRPG.com to learn about all our other projects and contact and support us. Email GameMaster at MasteringTheRPG if you have questions, need some advice. We're still waiting to adjudicate some questions. Um, and, you know, we're already in Season 2. And now imagine there was a big reverb when I said Season 2 <laughs> um, or End of Season 2. Uh, and we have yet to have that. So please, please send us something. Um, if you like the show, please give us a positive review on the podcaster or site of your choice. And once again, this is Carl, Eric, and James saying goodbye. So say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. Goodbye.